introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. Let's do it. To the right. Five seconds to go in the first half. Dante fires deep to the left. Moss caught it at the 11, but now he oh, look at this! To oh, Williams! Touchdown! You gotta be kidding me! All right, all right, and welcome back to another episode of the Climbing the Pocket podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason, and we're mixing things up today. We're mixing and matching from the Climbing the Pocket family. I almost started things off by saying, hello, hello, let's go, because we got our man, Flip Mozzie, hanging out today, stepping in. JR got his hands full for uh, the foreseeable future here. Prince is, uh, is at an acting class, so we called in Flip to help us out today. Flip, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man, Jason. Always an honor to be on the main pod. So hopefully I'll do my best Yankee impression. I don't know if I can I can replace JR, but... There we go, Africa Unite. There we go. Yankee's easy to replace, And uh, my man, Miles, I must say, you know, good to have you on. But you are sounding a little more refreshed this week than you have the last couple of times you've been on the pod. What's going on, man? I'm... I mean, trying to, I guess, get as much rest as possible. Yeah, when's, uh, how much time you got left? Two weeks. Woo! Oh, man. Two weeks. Don't tell my wife, though. She's. Are you you ready, though? Are you ready, ready? I mean, is anybody ever ready? But, like, have you actually assembled the furniture and stuff? Like, have you at least done that stuff now? The crib and all that's all done. I got to get the car seat into the car, though. Yeah, go on and get that done. You got your bag packed, ready to go? (laughs) Yep. Okay. Yeah, look at so, you. Wait, you're not on call yet, are you? I mean, technically. That's Y'all going on walks every day now? Is she at that point? Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, had an appointment the other day, so she should be. She's all right. Okay. All right. I well, mean, uh, as all right as she's gonna be. Enjoy this rest, man. I mean, I don't. I I'm so busy at work. There's no such thing as rest. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you seem to have crossed all the way through because there was a while there where it seemed like work was really beating you down, and you seem to have made it all the way out the other end now. Where like, yeah, you're you're, you're good. And now I just have a client presentation two days before my my kid's born, so it's no big oh, deal. Got to get right. that grind right. The, the, the baby's gonna show up early. Don't worry I know. About it. <laughs> <laughs> I can only hope. Well, all right, we uh we're gonna get into it here, and uh, it's fun having Flip on because Flip uh very often has takes that are very close to diametrically opposed to the takes that often pop up on this show from myself, from Miles, from others. So it's going to be fun tonight. And we decided that since we had Flip on, we we're going to run through some of the topics that we have, I'll say argued because we don't really, it's not that serious, but debated most fiercely on the timeline or in the group message in recent weeks or even months in some cases. So uh, what we're going to start off with first is something that popped back up again today. And it was a conversation that we had a little while ago about Zim's leadership style, calling players out in the press and you know how that played, you know, Xavier Rhodes, uh, like the few tweets that uh, that basically were basically saying that Zim was pointing the blame at other people other than himself. And that, and that, uh, was, that was a few months ago, though. Right? Yeah, that was a few months ago. So a few months ago, it was it seemed anyway that, that Xavier Rhodes was not uh, appreciative of the way that that Mike Zimmer called him out in, in public. But then, you know, we're, we're back. Everyone's back to work. Everyone's a, a happy family. And, and Xavier Rhodes switched his tune up a little bit today. And when he asked about it, he actually said that he appreciates Zim being hard on us, being tough on us. He only wants greatness out of all of us. So, Flip, let's go. you kind of seem to be uh, in the camp of, uh, you know, you're good with, with, with some of the, uh, the, the public call out so long as uh, the person doing the calling out is, is, is being honest. I guess, what are your thoughts now? Uh, it's the first time we've had you on the pod to really talk about this, but now in the wake of Rhodes kind of reversing course a little bit, what are your thoughts on the whole thing as it pertains to how this was all handled? Yeah, I mean, what what Zimmer does, I think it causes a lot of stress amongst, you know, the media and the fans, how he's calling out the players, tells the media this player isn't stepping up, and then media goes straight into the locker room, goes and interviews that player, you know, minutes, maybe a couple of days after he makes a comment and that I can see how people think that gets on these players nerves, but 
at the end of the day, you just got to give Zimmer some credit and some trust. He knows his team. Um, and what we're seeing here with Xavier Rhodes is exactly, exactly what I'm talking about. Zimmer knows how Rhodes is going to respond from that type of criticism. And I actually think it's kind of nice that we get to see it outward. I mean, we could, we could, he could be doing that all behind the scenes, but you see a, a Zimmer ask more of a player and a player because he believes in what Zimmer has built here in Minnesota. He's saying, yes, you know what? I'm not going to complain anymore. I'm going to step up because that's what my coach is asking me to do. All right. So miles, uh, obviously, you know, you have, taken uh, a counter position to, uh, I guess not really fully a counter position, but you've taken kind of a different stance on, on how it goes with how Zim will sometimes uh, approach the players or, or, or call them out, you know, publicly. I guess, what are your thoughts on what Flip has to say about it? Yeah. I mean, so I'm not, I'm not against a coach being showing tough love or, you know, being, being open, not uh, being critical to a player. I have no issue with that. I think that's a lot of coaches mentalities. I think, the, the best coaches are the ones that really adjust the way they approach players. They don't approach one every player the same way. They they approach them based off of their relationship with them. And I think, like to Flip's point, with Xavier Rhodes, it's a really good tight-knit relationship. So Zim might feel that he can come in and say uh, and be a little bit more open about that uh, criticism to other people outside of Xavier. And I think um, some of those – tweets and stuff that Xavier liked after some of those open comments that uh, that Zim made. I mean, I can't speak for Xavier, but it, I would assume that that would probably be some of that he didn't like Zimmer saying that stuff to the media. I mean, there are some conversations you you don't want your coach to be telling the general public that you're, you're talking about behind closed doors. That's just, um, every, like I said, though, everybody's different. I can't 100% say that Xavier stance, but that, I mean, for me, I could say I have no issue with the coach when I know when I played, I've had coaches say the, you know, you know, things, they say a lot of things, you know, a lot of critical things and that's fine. Um, I've, I've, I've never had any issue with it. Um, I, I would have had a problem if a coach were to say some of those things that we had talked about behind closed doors to the public, uh, because it, to me, it's none of their business. What's said between uh, us behind those closed doors, uh, but I understand some of the Zim pretty much trying to light that fire under Xavier, and he believes that that relationship's strong enough that uh, that it, it really wasn't a problem. But I do think that Zim's problem, in a sense, is sometimes he he doesn't have a filter, and I'm I mean I'm okay with that at times, but he doesn't have that filter. He doesn't uh, he can't lie, and I, that's not a problem either. But he just he doesn't have a tactful way of of approaching the media. So when he gets asked asked direct questions like you know what did you think of Xavier Rhodes season he's not going to really hold back and I think there's times where um, maybe he should be able he should hold himself back a little bit uh, not that he can't criticize or can't say Xavier could have had could needs to have a better season I don't think anybody would have an issue with that I think it's more around getting into some of those details that uh, I don't think the general public needs to hear yeah and that's generally where I've come down on it like uh, I, I'm generally of the mind that your know, leaders should, you know, praise publicly and and do the criticisms behind behind closed doors. And I guess where I was at with it is that Zimmer himself has acknowledged that uh, he can be a bit emotional off the cuff, maybe say things in ways that he shouldn't in, in in press conferences or reveal information that maybe would be best kept behind closed doors. And so that's why I, I also, as, as Zimmer has talked about the things that he needs to grow in and do better as he grows as a leader and a coach and all of those sorts of things, this is one of the things that he himself has brought up as something that he sh he wants to be better at. Um, so yeah, I guess yeah, Flip, I, I'll flip, I'll flip it to you. Uh, that's terrible, but I'll just, yeah, I'll <laughs> turn it over to you, Flip. With uh, yeah, with Zimmer himself calling out the fact that you know sometimes maybe he does say things uh, in a way that are, are counterproductive for him, and maybe he does need to go and do you know, fence mending and, and things like that because he does sometimes shoot it a little too straight or come off the cuff or let, you know, family business get out into the open or whatever it might be. Um, I guess, does, does that weigh into the way that you think about it at all? Um, because it is apparent from my perspective, we don't know everything going on with Xavier Rhodes, but he didn't like it at the time. Barr and others have made it very clear that they didn't like, not the criticism itself, but the fact that the criticism was made public in the way that it was. Um, 
that 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 doesn't weigh into your evaluation of kind of how it all flows or how it all works because the players themselves are saying that that they don't love it when it gets out of the fandom. Yeah, so we got to make two things clear. Number one is I'm not saying the players shouldn't be angry. Like a hundred percent, those players were angry. They had a right to be angry that this is getting aired out in public. What I'm saying is Zimmer is okay with his players being angry at times, even at him at times. And if he's able to manage them through that anger and get them to play better because of that anger at times, then that's ultimately what matters as the end result. Do you, uh, do you think it's really, I, I guess uh, uh, my follow-up question to you then is, do you really think that it's that calculated with Zim? Because it feels like a lot of the times nah. where he says something that gets himself into trouble, it's like it's in the heat of the moment, kind of off the cuff type of thing. Or do you think that that, that, that more, more often than not, really maybe he's uh you know, he, he's playing it, playing it coy and it, it's actually kind of a longer term plan and, and he's pulling one over on all of us. No, I don't think it's calculated at all, but he talks to these guys every day. And so if the, if one of those players, if Xavier or Anthony is going to go to him and say, I don't, I don't like what you said about me in the media, they have that conversation right then and there. I don't think it's simmering. There's hatred that's unknown. I think there's just some anger at those comments and, these issues that we talk about are resolved rather quickly. And, and the other thing about Zimmer working on his leadership and changing his style, y'all, this is Mike Zimmer we're talking about. This isn't some green new coach. He's been in the league a long time. The guy is not going to change this leadership style. He's not going to change a lot of other things about the Vikings that sometimes people hope for. I mean, being down in Dallas, listening to Jason Garrett, he's probably not the best example, <laughs> but Jason Garrett, they, you know, <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing that's stuck with me about Jason Garrett is, you know, people are always asking him about his sign, his sideline manner. And his response has always been, you know what? I understand that maybe my mannerisms, how, how I emote isn't what people expect out of a coach in good times or in bad times. But one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to change who I am because I'm not going to be good at being somebody else. The best way for me to go forward, for, for me to coach his team is by being myself, by coaching in my style that gives the team the best chance to win. And that's the same thing with Mike Zimmer. If he's going to try to go in there and be like a player first coach, be friendly with them, you know, not be honest when, when honesty has gotten him this far in his career, then it's not going to work for the Vikings. He's got to, he's got to stick to what he's been doing and it's going to get ugly at times. And there's going to be criticism at times, but at the end of the day, we've got 46 wins over the last five years, including that first six and 10 year. I mean, that's, that's almost 10 wins a season for five years. That's a pretty good run in Minnesota. Yeah. No one no, no doubt. Zim's one of the best coaches that the Vikings have ever had. But I also I don't love the the idea that there's not places that he can be better, and I would I would hope that yeah he is the way he is. But some of the way that he is is the reason that it took him a little bit longer than maybe others to get to the spot where he got an opportunity to coach in the first place. And yeah, I think some of the, the criticisms are valid. There are things that he can potentially do to to work on some of those those uh yeah some of those passionate moments I guess we'll say and. Uh, yeah, I, I hope anyway that he's not just, yeah, this is how I've always been, and so that's what it is, and I don't need to, to work on, on getting better at anything. I hope that he's continuing to look for, for opportunities for growth, but um, all in all, uh, you know, in, in terms of you know, how we look at the Zimmer era overall, I don't see how anyone could look at this era and, as a general rule, be unhappy about it based on what we've all experienced over the majority of our lifetimes as Vikings fans, so... <laughs> Any look outside of the last five years, man. Any look, we've been through the ringer. We've been through the ringer, but I mean, whew, it's been worse. It's been worse. <laughs> but uh, okay, so we got that, Miles. Do you have any other points you want to get in about the Zimmer thing, or are are you good? I'm I'm pretty good about it. I, I was about to go back through read your tweets today because you know, yo, Ed got you fired up all over again about it. But then, uh, you know, that just kind of. Shut down. So no other points you want to fire off or you good to go? No, I hit off what I needed to. Okay. Well, then we're going to talk about your favorite topic, Miles. Fine. <laughs> we're going to talk about your favorite topic. We're going to talk about running backs. 
Yes. Oh, I've heard my, some, I've heard some people say running backs are actually the best athletes oh, on on, uh, on the offense. <laughs> this is this is this is for, this is built for you. Yeah, but I, I I thought running backs were the best athletes. That's what I've been told. They had the most skill on the football fields, why they touched the ball the most frequently. That that's that's what you learned when you play football as well, right, Miles? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but flip again, you're here, so we got to talk about this. Vikings drafted a running back in the third round, and uh, I need you to tell me why. Help me understand, because I don't. The Minnesota Vikings drafted a running back in the third round because that is the way this team is built. This team is built with strong defense, efficient offense, and that is not changing. They're not going to become this high-flying passing team. You just said efficient offense, so why are they drafting running backs, though? Man, because every efficient offense in the league right now has one or multiple running backs, typically mid to late round guys, but multiple running backs who can feature in, who can provide the offense with diverse skill sets, who can solve whatever down and distance the offense is dealing with. And I think there was an oppression going into the draft that Dalvin Cook was going to be our 90% carry workhorse that Admir Abdullah and Mike Boone would be fine backups. And drafting Alex Madison tells us maybe that's not the case. Maybe Dalvin Cook isn't set up for 280 to 300 carries in a year. Maybe we still don't really know what we have in Mike Boone. And so if you believe either of those two things, you got to get a running back. You got to get a good running back who can come in and, and at least contribute in year one. So from that perspective, because this is one of those things that I am interested in your take on, and it's one of those things that can be a little bit difficult to, to get through or, or nuance with the, the character limitations on, on the timeline. 100%. But how much does the individual skill level of that running back matter in comparison to what's going on from a surroundings perspective? And just, to, I guess, to, to kind of talk through what I'm working on, is like Dalvin Cook, very talented, actually led the league in evaded tackles per touch, but his yards per carry were terrible because his offensive line was awful and the offense wasn't particularly efficient. So Dalvin Cook at the surface didn't look great, but everyone who's ever watched him from college through to the pros, like Dalvin Cook's a very good running back. The Vikings situation, this was one that does, did not allow him to, to showcase his abilities. So bringing in a guy like, like Madison, like how much does it actually matter that he's maybe a little bit more skillful or maybe a lot more skillful than like a Mike Boone or one of the other guys that had been here um, versus everything else that, that goes into how a, a running back performs uh, from week to week. Uh, I'm not going to say it matters a lot, but it certainly matters. I mean, you look around the league, you see Damian Williams go in in Kansas city. You see CJ Anderson come off the streets and perform for the Rams and offensive line is, is definitely one of the primary things that's going to lead how successful your running back is. But that doesn't mean that you can just throw any bargain bin guy behind these running backs. And what we've seen is teams that don't go for that highly touted running back are starting to put together these strings of mid round value picks behind great offensive lines. And that's how you're, you're building. You're not just going to, you know, take Joe Schmo off the street and put him behind an elite offensive line and expect to see success. They still have to have some some skill at the position. They still have to have some experience in all phases of the game for you to be able to rely on them. Because typically when you're running the ball, it's in some important situations. It's you need a touchdown and you're on the one yard line. You need a third down conversion. You're trying to run out the clock. And so to just throw in these guys, that's not going to work every time. Maybe maybe you've got a seventh-round pick, and if he fails, you've got a fifth-round pick you can go to. Maybe you've got a Todd Gurley, and if he gets injured, you've got a Mac Brown, and a, or sorry, a Malcolm Brown, and a C.J. Anderson to go to. It's, a, it's more of a stable approach with options rather than just having guys off the street. Well, I mean, in C.J.'s case, they did kind of get him. He they I'll did kind of get get him off the street at the buffet line and brought him right out there. And he but was I mean, but we see the Rams going back into the draft, getting another mid-round running back. We see the Patriots have drafted several day two 
day one and day two running backs. We see Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco going out and signing all the running backs. This is a trend that we can't just ignore. Is that enough teams for it to be a trend? It's all the innovative offenses in the league. I mean, those are the ones who are apparently looking at the analytics, looking at the data, and and trying to find inefficiencies on how to capitalize, how to increase their offensive effectiveness. Okay. I I guess my question is, and looking at the 49ers and the – the Patriots as prime examples, they use a running back, the the RBBC, you know, the running back by committee. Running back, yeah, I said that right. <laughs> um, they, they use that, but so I, I guess I struggle. If you're going to use three to four, even in, in maybe in some cases f- up to five running backs at a time, why do they need to truly invest so much, whether it's, you know, in the 49ers case, cash, in the Patriots, in the Patriots case, uh, through draft picks, I, I to me, I just don't understand why you need to keep investing, um, either whether it's you know draft mid mid to high draft picks or money to to bring in that many running backs when you could do that similar thing and probably have similar efficiencies and not have to invest as much, whether it's later in the draft uh, or you know spending less. In free agency, I, I guess I just don't understand. They make it such a deal now. They understand this. The the statistics tell them, and the analytics tell them they don't need to invest this heavily, that much capital. But yet they continue to do it. So I, I don't know. I'm just I don't understand it. I think one example that uh that most people don't usually look at is the New York Giants. And the New York Giants did the exact opposite of this. They went out, they got Saquon Barkley, you know, in fourth overall, and people hated on the pick. Second overall, which is second, second overall, and people hated on the pick. And I understand the hate for it, but let's look at what the New York Giants did before they drafted Saquon Barkley. The Giants went a decade without spending a high draft pick on a running back. They had Amir, they had a uh, sorry Ahmad Bradshaw in there, and he got injured. He was he was a relatively high pick, but other than that, they tried to string together all these fourth round picks, all these fifth round pick into a competent running game, and it I'm, didn't work. I'm, I'm I'm sorry, Flip. We have uh, we have breaking news here. Breaking news, because um, <laughs> it looks like we have a visitor into oh, this recording snap. here. We have someone in here. We got Pops in the crib. What's going on, my man, JR, QB1? How you doing? How you been? And how are you on this podcast right now? So there was a brief intermission between the spit-up and boo-boo Olympics here at the Reed Reed household. So I figured I'd come in and check on you guys for a couple seconds. Oh, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We just out here talking about We've already gotten back to work, too, on Twitter. The work never bit. stops. How's it going, man? Like, it's the first time we talked to you since, obviously, uh, you know, football can go on the side for a little bit, man. Talk to us. Tell us how it's going with, uh, yeah, the new additions and uh, the new life that you're living right now. It's good, man. Best day of my life. Nothing I've ever experienced before. And I ain't going to lie. I broke down. You know, I I understand when people say, like, bringing a child into this world, like, there's no feeling like it. And the girls came home this morning or yesterday morning, I should say, so... They're very, they're very healthy. Everything looks good, and Mama is resting peacefully every single day. So, I can't complain. And that's a beautiful thing. Did you have a moment there where it was just you and them, where they just kind of left you? Yeah, I did. Every skin, you know, the skin to skin thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a beautiful moment, man. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's amazing, Miles. It's uh, it's coming for you, man. It's coming. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just wanted to stop by and say hello. I'm gone now, so. <laughs> All right, man. Well, Jr., thanks for coming sure. through, man. Yep. And uh, yeah, hold it down, bro. Yeah, right. keep killing, man. Yep. All right. Well, flip. I don't even know what you were talking about before Jr. came here. I'm not gonna lie. Something Maybe. about running backs. I'm sure it was very important. Can you find a thought and bring it back? Yeah, I can bring it back. What I'm trying to say is, if you look into it, there are several teams who are trying to do the bargain bin approach with running backs and failing. And we've got some great examples of how it works, but it doesn't always work. So we should consider that when we see teams moving into the second round, moving into the third round to get their guy. 
But to the point that you made, and I'm actually I want Miles to hop in because one of the things you did say is that you know the offensive line is going to be one of the big parts of what makes you successful. And so when I look at the Vikings and how they have constructed this team, yes, they spent a lot on the defense, but the type of offensive line that we're building is not a big, powerful, mauling type of offensive line. And we invested a bunch of money at the quarterback position and our best players are wide receivers. So with those kind of elements there where we have an offensive line that seems to be built for pass pro. We have um, an expensive quarterback who's supposed to be the the piece to take us to the next level. We have Adam Thielen. We have Stefan Diggs, who are our best players on offense. Uh, I guess, Miles, from your perspective, just kind of knowing those facts, which direction would you have gone in in that mid-round to to, to help – with maybe try to take this offense to another level versus bringing in, uh, as, as you said, you know, a player who's just going to take a, a small percentage of those snaps on uh, at a fairly low value task running the ball. Yeah, I mean, so I would have gone. I mean, they win offensive line in the fourth round, and I think the guy they took, the guy they got, Drew Samia. I, I had a day two pick on a day two. Uh, great on so I would you know taking him in the third round I had, I would have had no issue with so if you I in all honesty if hypothetically let's say they they took Drew Samia at 102 and they and they came back and took Alexander Madison in the fourth round I mean you you're kind of doing the same thing um they got the two guys they likely wanted so I have no issue with that my my biggest issue outside of uh in addressing running back in the third round was I don't prioritize an RB2 over a wide receiver three. And I understand getting a guy like Irv Smith currently having Kyle Rudolph on the team. I mean, we'll see what, what how that plays out. I expect him to be here, but you never know. Um, with that, I mean, I expect them to be in more tight end, two tight end sets. So maybe just keeping two wide receivers on the field rather than the I think they had three receivers on the field over 50% of the time last year. Um, I, I would expect that number to be significantly lower, which I have no issue with uh, if that's the strength of your team and that's kind of how your offense is built. My worry is what happens when you get into a situation or if you do get into a situation where one of Thielen or Diggs gets hurt, misses some time or whatever might it may be, uh, What who replaces them because they don't – they currently don't have another receiver on the, on the roster that I feel personally feel comfortable could step in and, and competently replace any kind of production that Thielen or Diggs brings um, and, and that talent level. Uh, so that I guess that's where my biggest worry is you don't really have a true third receiver that can step up if you need somebody to. And it's just been a problem for me, just like O-line, offensive line, just like quarterback. We've seen this front office, they they don't address certain positions high until they become a need. And that's and then obviously that's where some of that comes into where you're uh you, you run into situations where you reach on players and whatnot, but we don't need to go down that go down that. But for me I'm I mean I, I don't have it off the top of my head here of of who was all taken in the third round of maybe what uh uh what guys would were available. I mean, your man Hakeem Butler was the next pick, so I know that probably hurt you just a little bit. A little bit, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I would have. Like, they could have taken him. They could have taken. Uh, let's see here, guys. Like, yeah. I mean, Hakeem Butler. Uh, or is it here? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's just some of my some of my issues. You know. I, I mean, like, like let let's let's be real here. Are we really saying that a, a receiver in the third round would be able to replace Diggs or Thielen if they get hurt? I'm saying. That I think I, he's saying that a receiver in the third round would have a a receiver that was drafted in that spot, especially in this draft with the way the receivers kind of were were, were pushed down the board a little bit, um, would have a higher likelihood of of replacing a Diggs. Uh, excuse me, Diggs. Uh, a Thielen or a Diggs, then, I mean, like Chad Beebe. 
Right. Like Chad Beebe, Laquan Treadwell, obviously we know that's <laughs> that's not going to happen. We Jordan Taylor, I mean, I what do we know about Jordan Taylor? Um, what has he done besides be hurt? Did he play uh, with Peyton Manning? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Peyton Manning gave him good remarks, so that's cool, I guess. Um, but then also, the, so then you're also relying on two seventh round draft picks and some guys that were UDFA's last year. I guess that's just big bets. So what was that? I'm just saying th- those are big bets, and yeah, I, that, that's more of my that's more of my concern is like if they weren't going to go out and get a veteran uh, wide receiver. I mean, I know they got Taylor. But someone that like, to me, like a Jordan Matthews would have been a, would have been a great guy to bring in and be that third receiver, that good rotational uh, player that can play inside and out. Uh, kind of looking for that, but who's also cheap, um, you know, what close to that veteran minimum. That that was kind of, I guess, what if they're not going to do it in free agency, you, you'd hope that they would address some of it in the draft, and they didn't really want to do that. And so, to me, yeah, like you said, that it's a big bet because you're you're hoping and expecting that Diggs and Thielen play 16 game 16 plus games and I like I said I'm fine with the two tight end set and going two wide receivers more often than three I just look at the what's the what's the what's the situation that happens behind them because I believe Mike Boone and Amir Abdullah can step in and confidently play a, a decent role um, if Dalvin goes down in this offense because of the scheme and, and, and kind of, I trust a guy like Mike Boone to be um, efficient enough to, to carry, carry the ball 15 times, 15 to 20 times a game if he had to for a short stint. So I don't, I don't know the, that, that's where my, my biggest like issue is with it, I guess, I suppose. Okay. All right. And I feel like this is one of those things we're never going to come to a fully, a full consensus on. So we're going to keep it moving because you talked about something there uh, that you know JR has also mentioned. Many others have said that maybe what the Vikings are looking to do is go to more two tight end sets. Uh, maybe Irv is being looked at as that wide receiver three. But there's that other person that we're not really sure of yet. Maybe he'll be there. Maybe, you know, the spark God will will, will take his, his appropriate place as a his tight end one. That was for you, Flip. But uh, yeah, as we're going forward here, Kyle Rudolph, the drama continues, uh, be it the 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 hoodies or the the press conferences and he's here he's spoken to the media flip what are your thoughts on where we're at right now with uh with the kyle rudolph situation and what is your prediction on how it all ends up playing out uh you know i had this dream after they drafted irv smith of him and kyle rudolph playing together and irv smith has even voiced this himself we have the potential to be one of the best 12 personnel packages in the league, one of the best tight end groups in the league. And you lose all that if Smith doesn't perform in year one. And also if Rudolph isn't here in 2019 and for the leap that this offense has to take in a critical year, it just strikes me as, as clear that Kyle Rudolph, even though, you know, we all agree he's average, that he's valuable to the Vikings. He's more valuable than just an average tight end is because of what the offense is trying to accomplish in 2019. That's why, I mean, there's no way they cut this man. And if I had to put money on it, I think they go ahead and extend him because he wants to end his career here. Irv Smith Jr. is 20 years old and is going to take some time like all rookie tight ends do. And pairing them is by far the best thing for the team. Is Kyle Rudolph average? Or do we as as Vikings fans maybe overvalue him a bit because of the endowment effect? Like, because when, because obviously it's been all over the the Twitter feed, especially today where you had uh, first the, uh, the, the PFF account tweet out his, uh, his, his, the grades over the course of his career. And then you had uh, Nick Olson, you know, kind of highlight, uh, you know, Kyle Rudolph's, you know, receiving grades, but also the ranks that, that, that corresponded with those. And you had a reef kind of take a look at it from a yards per hour run perspective. And in really n- none of those metrics outside of, I think two years throughout of his throughout his career, does, does he show up as, as above average in most of the years he's, pretty comfortably below average 
when you're looking at uh you know the grading or or the yards per route run etc and it's just a given everyone's pretty much acknowledged Kyle Rudolph can't run block very well so is he like I understand what you're saying that you know rookie tight ends generally don't perform that well David Morgan uh even slower than Kyle Rudolph if we're talking about you know stretching the seam or that sort of thing so there would obviously there there would very likely be a step back um at the tight end position but just given the fact that Rudolph really hasn't performed even as, you know, an average tight end. Um, how how big of an impact do you suppose that would be, especially if that was offset potentially with uh, with replacing Rudolph with another veteran player that could help out someplace else on the team? And I'll flip that to you. He's, he's incredibly average. Uh, below average pass gr- PFF grades, below average run blocking grades low average in yards per reception and yards per route run. Uh, then you look at success rate when, when the team is in, in certain situations when they're targeting tight ends compared to other teams in the league, the Vikings were a top three team in tight end success rate last year. You look at DVOA, Kyle Rudolph is a top 10 tight end in DVOA in 2018. He's average. He's got weaknesses. He's slow. He can't break tackles but he's average and to to say to think that he can be replaced by some veteran off the streets or rookie tight end that's just not true there's going to be a drop off there this team loses something when they lose Kyle Rudolph no doubt but i, I guess what i'm like i i wouldn't even argue that point that that uh the likelihood is that the team would take a step back at the position um, if, if Kai Rudolph was, was to be traded or, or cut or something of that sort, I'm just wondering if if you feel like it would be such a big step back that it couldn't be offset either by, you know, signing a veteran wide receiver or you know bringing in a Gerald McCoy. Not going to happen, but something like that, where like that bargain free agent that no one really expected to hit the market hits the market. You swap out the money. Uh, do you feel like we're in a situation where something like that could work, or are you kind of locked in at this point where you know? There's really very little the Vikings can do at this point with Kyle Rudolph that would help them for the next season. Uh, I mean, if you're asking me if I would prefer a veteran receiver three to Kyle Rudolph, that's that's a hard discussion for me. I could go either way on that. But to just cut them just for the sake of cap space for, you know, emer- emergency spending or to spend more on the defense when the offense is the unit that needs help, I think it's clear that that he's got to stay. Okay, that that's fair. And Miles, how about you? Where are you at with it at this point? Yeah, I mean, I I choose Rudy over uh, a veteran wide receiver three. I mean, especially if you look at the the names that are available. I mean, I don't think any of those guys would really come in and be able to play that true, have that kind of true impact right now. Uh, Flip, but- you running from the police? Woo! You got some sirens in LA. I was like, boy, you really are doing your Yankee impression right. today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he he fully embraced the character. I love it. I love it. Go um, no, that that's where I'm at. I mean, I, I would choose Rudy in that case. I I don't like the idea of uh I, I'm I'm okay. I have no issue with them extending Rudy. It's all to me, it's all about the obviously the details and, and how they could find a way to save some cap now, but also not have to lock themselves into a guaranteed money for him moving forward because that's important for them because they don't have any cap space next year either. So they need some of that flexibility to be able to get out of some of these, these contracts. And I'm, I, I can guarantee that's the, the holdup with uh, the extension talks right now is it's probably not ex- offering much of any kind of guarantees next year. And to me, I think I personally believe the way the Vikings have approached this and how they drafted someone like Irv Smith is, they they plan on moving on from Rudy this after this season. Uh, that's just my honest opinion about it. I don't have any <laughs> anything to to hold hold to that, but that's just kind of what it seems like based off some of the moves they've made and uh, the way that they haven't really uh, gotten any kind of contract extension done because we know that they offered him one, and if he's not willing to accept it, it kind of tells you everything you need to know about the way that was structured. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's like we 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 want to move some money around, but we'd like to not give you any more guaranteed money. When he has no guaranteed money, and the only only issue though is it becomes fully guaranteed at week one. Yeah. So like they Rudy's 
I, I believe Rudy's in more of a power a power position than people want to let let on because he knows that they don't want to cut him, and they know and he knows that the compensation. I mean, it's kind of insulting probably for him, but the compensation for uh, a trade isn't there, and the Vikings aren't just going to give him away. So he knows that he's in a position right now. If well, they're not going to trade me for nothing, but at the same time, they're probably not just going to outright cut me. So if I just played this out, even if they're not willing to uh, extend me and kind of give me some guarantees for this year and pro- probably next year, I at least know it, if we one hits that I'm my my uh, seven point six million is guaranteed. So let me ask y'all, how much do you think they could get for Kyle Rudolph? Just player for draft pick trade. What do you think they could get? I mean, it's got to be like a day three pick right now. I would I would assume nobody's gone higher than a fifth or a sixth round pick because the it's not just trading for Rudolph, whether you like him as a player or not. It's about trading for that $7.6 million. Yeah, I, I think that's where it's at. Like Kyle Rudolph, I don't think is the type of player that your teams are going to outbid one another from a draft pick perspective to to bring him in. So yeah, it's a... Yeah, it's a it's it's likely a late round pick with you know some team out there, some of the plenty of teams that Kai Rudolph told us are interested in him, um, waiting to see if the Vikings just either cut him or you know do a late round pick swap or something like that just to to get the cap relief. So yeah, and they might even have a a plan in place where they they work with Rudy on a a contract extension to make the trade happen, but that contract extension could could be one of those where it gives the Vikings less cap relief because of the way it's structured. I I was listening to Doogie, Doogie Wolfson's podcast Wolfson's podcast with uh he had a, a former agent on and then they were talking about how this uh this situation and they talked about how uh, the way they could the signing bonus and all that good all that good stuff uh of an extension for a trade could uh give the Vikings basically less cap relief but enough to where another team would be willing to probably give you a little bit more in a draft pick because of the it'd be they'd be taking on less cap i you know all this complicated stuff that i'm not as much into or fully understand but i mean uh, there there's that as well so right. so like fifth or sixth pick we're talking like a i mean look who they got in the fifth and sixth round this year like Cameron Smith Armand Watts that type of dude next year instead Stephon, of yeah, I, obviously well, Stefan Diggs. Stefan well, Diggs. I mean, obviously Stefan Diggs. Stephon I think Diggs. When you look at draft picks, you shouldn't just look at draft picks as they're only used to draft players at that specific draft slot. I know. I know. But yeah, I agree. I mean, if you were if you were just looking at it from a what kind of player could they get in that specific round, it's we know it won't be someone of Rudy's caliber, most Dan, likely. Dan Carlson. Yeah. Boom. Your words hurt, Flip. Your words hurt. All right. That's enough of that. As you start throwing, oh, Dan Carlson. Okay, Flip. Actually, no, I'm starting with Miles on this one. Because, you know, again, obviously everyone's in. Kirk Cousins talking about taking snaps from from Bradbury. One of the things that I did find a bit notable from some of the coverage was that, um, you know, Elf is really taking no snaps at center, working uh, exclusively at guard. Miles, what are your thoughts? Uh, what are your expectations for Elfline at this point? Um, what do you think is his ceiling after a couple of lackluster years where you can make a case for why they would be lackluster based on you know injury and, and all those other things? What are your thoughts based on yeah, what his careers look like to date? What you thought of him coming out of the draft? Where do you expect Elfline to, to kind of finish from a ranking perspective as we... Uh, as we move into this next season. Yeah. I mean, I think coming out of the college, I'll start with him coming out of college. I really liked him as a player. I thought he fit exactly what the Vikings wanted to do heading into the 2017 season where it was the outside zone scheme. Um, getting a guy that can in, in the middle of the, of the offensive line that can get out in space. Uh, he was the Remington award winner. I mean, you could take that how you want to, but uh, they don't just give that some of those awards away. So you kind of appreciate some of that sometimes. So, uh, I liked Elfline a lot. I, I was kind of surprised he dropped to the third round. I thought he was more of a, a second-round center. But um, all in all, I think um, – but you could tell that some of the issues he had were some of the strength issues and, and some of the, the reach block issues. I think, I think he might have – I can't confirm this, but I think the way I've, I've read and it seems is 
he struggled a little bit with some of the line calls and I think some of that overall communication because uh, he only really played center for I think it was one season in college before he uh, he moved over to the before he got drafted in the NFL. Otherwise, before that he was a, a guard. So I think he was still kind of making that transition to center. But I believe that you know maybe if he had stayed at guard, he'd he'd be in a better position for his career right now uh, because he could have stayed and concentrated on that because I think center is such a, a different beast than, than playing a, either of the guard positions. There's a lot more that goes on to be a center. And I believe now that he can solely focus on being, being the guard, that there's a lot less pressure for him. He can get out in space on screens. They'll, they'll be able to move him around a lot more. They can pull him and, and do all those kind of things. So I'm not going to sit here and say that I, I expect him to be <laughs> – turn it into some like above average, you know, style of a player. But I believe there's that ceiling of like the, or, or of the impact of like what you saw from a Nick Easton, uh, maybe even like a Joe Berger style, somebody that has that position flexibility that can play all three interior line positions. But I believe that the guard positions, the, it makes the most sense for him because of his strengths, because he can help combo block he can get out in space and, and some of those things. So that for me, I believe it's the it's the best move for the offensive line. You upgrade the center position, which is more important, uh, while also upgrading your left guard position with a guy that you know fits a lot of the fits your scheme and and he does the things that you you're looking for out of a, a left and a left a guard. I'll just say guard. So um, I'm I'm excited about that aspect of it. Uh, I believe that his ceiling, uh, I'd say maybe an average to make to, yeah, I'll say an average player. Like his ceiling at left guard this year is probably to be like a consistently average player, which I think is a good thing. Um, so, and then Bradbury, I think, I mean, I, this guy's kind of the limit for him, but we don't really need to go down that aisle. But uh, love Bradbury a lot. Okay, flip, Pat offline. If we're 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 looking at him. Same, same question, but I want you to give me uh, a current player that you ex- like the level at which you expect uh, Elfline to play with this move over to uh, to the guard position. Yeah, that's that's tough. I mean, Miles just put it so eloquently. I didn't think I was going to have to do anything on this one. I was just taking a nap. <laughs> You're going to lean uh. back. <laughs> All right, so I'll, so I'll, I'll throw some names out here, and you can tell me, you know, higher, lower, maybe the same level. So we'll go with. Uh, like Zach Martin, Marshall Yanda. Oh, uh, that is rosy. That is okay. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Okay. The best, we're the we're best starting tall. We're, we're seeing where we're going here. Okay. Uh, Ali Marpet, Roger Saffold. Uh, yeah, I I think we can do that. I'm, okay. Okay. That's a very high end. Let me say this about Elfline is, you know, like all the things Miles said, we. We brought in a new offensive line coach, an expert, a guy who's been doing it for 20 years to help him with the coaching. He's healthy now. He's moving over so he doesn't have to deal with the line calls. Everything they've done for Pat Elfline has propped him up to succeed more than he has in the last two years. And and so we should be optimistic, but at the same time, if, if he doesn't make good on that, I mean, that's on that's kind of that's on him. He's in a he's in a prove it year, no doubt. Okay. Well, and Ali Marpet, I like that. We can roll yeah, with that. I mean, we can roll with that. Well, I mean, for, if you look at it for Pat, I mean, he's he's in his third year, so ideally for him, he'd be looking at getting a contract extension. And the way the Vikings operate, looking at a contract extension after this season, I don't believe it'll happen because of the contract, the, the cap situation they're in. But that's the kind of thing he's playing for. He's, he's he's looking to play for that second contract, and this is kind of a rejuvenated way for him to to look at doing that and having his first healthy offseason in the NFL uh, and moving positions. I mean, that you would expect him to be able to to be uh, a lot better, in my opinion, than he was at center as left guard because of the way he's he's. We certainly hope so. So we certainly hope so. I All mean, right, well, gentlemen, I have the most important question of the entire podcast for you right now. And I'm going to start with Flip on this one. 
how upset were you and how much has it, has, has it changed your perception of him as a leader that <laughs> Stefan Diggs Dang it. was not there at the start of OTAs? I am getting in my car and I am driving up to Minnesota from Los Angeles tomorrow to get up there and ask Stefan what he was doing during a during a voluntary OT voluntary that means he can take the day off with no problems so why should i have an issue with that i'm just i like i'm come on i'm not going anywhere i don't care what Stefan <laughs> dig does with his free time i can't remember a single player who's missed an ota in the last five years unless it was some sort of contract dispute tom brady does it every year um, what no <laughs> Brett That's Favre, crazy. Brett Favre didn't show up till like halfway through training camp, and nobody batted an eye. Where was he though? Where do you think Diggs was? He was in uh, DC. Uh, I mean, probably I, at a photo shoot. Maybe sounds like. I mean, I know he's been doing stuff with East Bay, so maybe so based on his Instagram, he was standing in front of something and 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 pouting at the camera. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's his business, though, right? Like, it is business. He doesn't get paid to go to OTAs, but he's probably getting paid to take those photos. Flip, you see how immediately when you start talking about the wide receivers being extra, Miles, Miles coming there, and he's ready to to do all the defending. It's easy to be extra. Uh, <laughs> but like for real, he doesn't get paid, he doesn't get paid to go to OTAs. He probably got paid to take those photos. He might have a workout bonus in there or something. I don't know. I'll ask Ed. We'll have to ask Ed about the contract terms, but that's it. None of us care. It was just one of those things that people kept talking about um, because it's the offseason yeah. and we really miss football. So anything that happens related to football, we uh, we talk about and maybe we make a slightly bigger deal about it than we should. But that is it. That is all. That's the show. We made it through everything. Flip, uh, when's, the next, uh, when's the next episode of 15 Minutes with Flip dropping? Man, I was... I was aiming for either this Sunday or next Sunday, but we're gonna we're gonna go away from OTAs. We're gonna go back to 2018 and just start reviewing some of the highlight plays because there there's not too much news right now. But those clips of our team running in shorts that kind of whet our appetite. So we're gonna go back and look at the real highlights from last year. Love it, love it, love it. And uh, Miles, nope. You got nothing on the way except for a baby, so I guess that's enough. We'll take that. That'll uh, that'll 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 be the work you're doing for the next uh, for the next while. But uh, as I said, that's it, listeners. As always, thanks for sticking with us. Flip, thanks for stepping in. Miles, thanks for coming on. And that is it. We will talk to you guys soon. Have a good one. Skull Vikes. <laughs>